Welcome to Let's Face the Facts, the rewatch podcast for the classic sitcom, The Facts of Life. Join us each week as we synopsize, analyze, criticize, and ultimately idolize the show. And now, here's your host of Let's Face the Facts, the wonderful David Almeida! Thank you, Matthew Arter. Welcome back to another show. Thank you for downloading and pressing play. This week, we are joined by the amazing musical theater powerhouse, dancer, singer, actress, baker extraordinaire, Kristen Sciola. Kristen and Matthew and I know each other through various uh, connections when we worked at Disney. (laughs) Worked, sadly, that is uh, past tense for all of us, but who knows? It might change someday soon. We'll see. Fingers crossed. But until that day comes, we have this podcast where we got to visit, and Kristen and Matthew and I discussed Season 7, Episode 12, Ballroom Dance which had an original air date of December 7th, 1985. I think we're ready to jump on in. Let's face the facts with Kristen Sciola. Kristen Sciola, hi! Thank you, Matthew, for suggesting that I contact her uh, because we legitimately, we had just left an audition that we both were at, she was dancing, I was not. I was behind the casting table judging the dancers. (laughs) (laughs) And uh, yeah, and of course I'm like, wow, they they can like move their feet. They're great, you should hire them. And uh, because I have no skills in that uh, respect. But uh, literally we left each other's company. We had been in touch about this audition. And then that night, bleep, text from Matthew. Hey, do you know Kristen Sciola? We should have her on because the ballroom dancing one's coming up and she's a dancer. And I'm like, uh, I, I actually do, dear. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you for thinking of me. I'm so glad that in my old age that we still think of me as a dancer. <laughs> oh, you're so sweet. I know, in old age, she is, I believe, over 30, Matthew, yeah. I think. Don't tell yeah. anybody. <laughs> God, she's a dancer, and dancers dance. Very true, very true. And and lyricists win Pulitzers for lyrics like that, don't they? Well, you and I already had a past, as it were. Whoa, that sounds very different than I meant it. Um, People don't realize that backstage at Disney's Hollywood Studios, I hope I'm not speaking out of turn. Good God, I'm afraid they might fire me. Uh, That when you're backstage... Uh, to get to the Citizens of Hollywood trailer, you pass by the back of the Beauty and the Beast uh, live on stage theater. So our paths crossed many times each and every day that we worked as far as us getting to the park, to the set, as they call it, and back and you guys trotting off to go get your lunch uh, in your crappy T-shirts and basic black stretch shorts and fully painted faces Full face. Full face. (laughs) I have to say, the citizens of Hollywood um, are my heroes. I have, um, I would go out and watch in the park all the time. I just thought it was the most creative, funniest group of individuals I'd ever seen in my life. I don't remember, I think it was the trying to think who it was public works crew maybe um they had just painted a building in the park and i was walking out uh one day and 
walked by them as they were all sitting on stools in front of a wet paint sign. And I believe for their entire 20 to 25 minutes, they sat and watched paint dry. And mm -hmm. I have never forgotten that. And it is to this day, one of the funniest things I have ever seen. And they just sat and everyone walked by and thought it was the most amusing thing in the whole world because it was. Yeah. So I, I have always loved and will always continue to love the wonderful citizens of Hollywood. So. <laughs> Annie Hoosel, we we are here and we've we've pulled out the stops. We've called in the, the cavalry here and said we need an expert because we're going to be discussing season seven, episode 12, Ballroom Dance which had an original air date of December 7th, 1985. Uh, so did you watch the show growing up, Kristen? Do you have uh, memories of the Facts of Life? Well, here's my Facts of Life story. So in 1985, I um, wouldn't have been able to have any kind of capacity to watch the show as I was a baby. So mm -hmm. um I actually would catch it when it was in syndication, ran in syndication for a very short period of time, I feel. On oh yeah, it was, night, yeah. A mm -hmm. minute night or something of the like. So it wasn't until much later on that I um, caught the show and I never would catch them in order for some reason. So it was very jarring being like, what's happening now? How did they get so much older? What is happening? So um, I did go back and I watched a few episodes um, to kind of get reacquainted with everything. And um, it totally stands out. It's, I mean, some things do and some things don't, but it's it's such a party and it's so fun. And it's just a feel good little adventure for 26 minutes and I love it, so. Yeah, um, I will say that of all the episodes, this one was, oh, how shall I say, weak. Um, I'm David holds these newer episodes, Kristen, to a much higher standard than you or I, because <laughs> you and I are taking it for what it's worth. This guy's over here banging the show Bible going, hey, wait a minute. Natalie's yeah. never been a dancer. And we're just accepting that in this episode, Natalie's a dancer for some fucking reason. Yeah. And it's like that that earring was in her left ear and she used to have an earring in her right ear. And I'm, yeah, I'm kind of the facts of life Trekkie guy. I'm that annoying person. <laughs> You're for that, so. That's, yeah. that's the thing. So I want there to be show Bible moments. I want everything to have integrity and to all completely gel. And uh, uh, I'm getting that less and less over time. And uh, yeah, so uh, this piece of shit was written by, um, I'm sorry. The story was by Carlo Allen. Again, we needed a team. We needed a team of people to, to be responsible for this. Carlo Allen, this is his only Facts of Life writing credit. He only has two writing credits total, 10 acting credits, nothing else. Oh, no. <laughs> that explains a lot. <laughs> yeah, but this is the story. He was the idea man that said, uh, Joe takes a ballroom dance class. And... Then we get the teleplay by Deidre Fay and Stuart Wolpert, who are producers on the show, who have been in the writer's room for a few seasons. They're the ones that had to flesh it out and, you know, make the magic between the lines and all that. And, uh, uh, and it was directed by John Boab, the in-house uh, director who's directed most of the episodes thus far. And, uh, uh, yeah, there it is. I am just going to go on record ahead of time. Spoiler alert. I am not a fan of this episode. 
And uh, before we start getting into the microscopic dissection of why, uh, this is where I like to put my guest on the spot, Kristen, oh. and ask you if you would please provide a one to two sentence brief synopsis of the whole episode, similar to a listing like you might find in a TV guide. Oh no, okay, okay, let me try to figure Just this out. Short, short, quickie, easy, don't overthink it. All right, so Joe has decided she's going to take out ballroom after Natalie comes home complaining about teaching at said ballroom class and meets a man named Chuck, was that his name, Chuck? Yes, meets a man named Chuck there who is taking class to uh, impress his girlfriend. And lo and behold, Joe ends up enjoying this class a little more than everybody else is giving her credit for. And hilarity ensues and George Clooney makes an appearance not having anything to do with the story, but we're grateful for it. And in the end, Joe does a fantastic job in her ballroom recital at the end of the episode. Oh, did, did ladies and gentlemen, my tens of listeners, I don't know if you heard the air quotes in her voice, <laughs> but there were visible air quotes there on, was it fantastic, you said? Fantastic. Fantastic. Yeah. Yeah. This is, this is a pip of an episode. All right. Um, so, uh, yeah, we ready to ready get into it? Because I have, I have a lot of thoughts and felts I need to field. Do it. Okay. I would like it known, David. I'm going to give Kristen a pass for that one because she is so young. She's never seen a TV guide. So <laughs> she just that that paragraph and a half monologue she just did. At the dentist office and, you know, they were probably from the 80s sitting at the dentist office, you know, in the 2000s. But yeah, I mean, I've seen one, one, one or twice. She's so cute. God damn it. <laughs> she is. But I, I think a good word is plucky. Wouldn't you say? Yeah. Or, oh, or as you described it, short, cute, and easy. What? 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 Wow! 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 Okay. Me? No. <laughs> but yeah, honestly, some people, um, Kristen, some people give the uh, listing for the synopsis. Some people give us more of a close-up box, and that's perfectly okay. Yeah. Other than Matthew has to berate and belittle them if they do. Okay. So. Uh, <laughs> Okay, so um, we start again with the the aesthetic of the show, Kristen. Did you even recognize over our heads in the store? Did you even know this was a thing, or was that jarring to you? Um, I rem like I remember some of this stuff. Everything was so so eighties. I mean, yeah, eighties exploded out of a tin can and said, "Here I am," and it was just. It's everything that I, I don't remember, but have seen in pictures and videos. Mm -hmm. it, it's funny you say that, Kristen, because t really, honestly, it is everything that Hollywood wanted us to think the 80s was. It gave me very Saved by the Bell, Bell vibes. So exactly. it was like yeah. our precursor into that era, which was my era. So, mm -hmm. Kristen, this aesthetic, this uh, 80s-tasticness only started at the beginning of season seven. So only 12 episodes ago did we really shake completely the old 70s stuff. And honestly, like Matthew was just talking about, most of my 1980s experience was still driving our cars that were made in the 70s, still having our brown shag carpeting, all the fugly-ass furniture. And But anyway... 
So this is fairly new and the show itself really changed gears aesthetically with how they did the titles visually. Uh, and we have this new thing that starts the episode where we kind of luxuriously pan across the set as we hear our smooth jazz intro music. It would be very weird if we didn't. Yeah, and, and this time we start at the balcony and we pan down. It's like, look at our beautiful set with the lavender walls. <laughs> and uh, Joe is sitting on the couch reading a magazine and in comes Natalie, first words out of her mouth, they are killers, Joe, they're killers. <laughs> and Joe says, hard day at work. And yes, it was a hard day at work. Uh, what was Natalie doing at her job? Uh, she was teaching dance to the housewives, more the senior citizen housewives. Yeah. And I, I, this very much resembled the precursor to Zumba for me. Like yeah. Jazzercise, good old jazzercise. Yeah. But it was disco. She said, I'm teaching disco to housewives for eight hours. Uh, do you teach eight hour classes, Kristen, when you teach? No, um, although I do, I do teach dance camps and they're five hours, but that is not eight hours to, um, you know, older housewives. So that's a lot. That's a lot. Yeah. Our rehearsals aren't even eight hours usually. So yeah. thank you. So the idea that she works an eight hour day, an eight hour shift, dance teaching is really, it's an a la carte gig type of a thing where you get, do you get paid by the class or are you on staff? Yeah, I usually get paid by the class. Like there's yeah. a, a rate for an hour class, an hour and a half class. It's usually what most of the studios do. Yeah, it's more of a, a gig thing, not unlike like the way a, a personal trainer would teach an exercise class or a, a yoga yeah. class. That's, that's what I assumed it was, but they're making it that Natalie is still working with this employment agency. Show Bible moment, Natalie is still in the finding herself place as she is the one of them who decided not to go to college. Mm -hmm. So she's talking about, you know, this is the next thing. And so it's like, well, if you hate teaching this, why don't you quit? And she's like, I can't. The agency's been sending me and sending a lot of work my way. I don't want to say no to them. Gee, does that sound familiar, my fellow actor friends? Hmm? I have just tried to figure out how I can fit one more gig into my Saturday, which would make for four in a day. So yeah. Wow. <laughs> familiar. Yeah. My question about Natalie is in 1985, what the fuck is she doing teaching a disco class? Mm -hmm. Thank you. We love a throwback, you know? I get it. It's for old people and it's supposed to be funny. But then later on, we see it's really, like you said, Kristen, a jazzercise class is what she's teaching. It's not disco. Yeah. It would have been funnier if she were teaching them like the Saturday night moves and stuff, yeah. you know? But I just, disco died on July 12th, 1979. This is six years after <laughs> disco has been dead. Is that don't it? I thought it was later. Wow. No, don't get me started on the racist and homophobic reasons disco was mm -hmm. killed. But anyway, oh, yeah. But yeah. it was sucks, yeah. that night in Chicago that they burned all the disco albums, coincidentally, like the night after Ethel Merman's disco album was released. So <laughs> it's often said Ethel Merman killed disco. Wes. <laughs> <laughs> But oh that just God. fascinated, that perked my ears up when she was like, I'm teaching disco to set to old late. I was like, why? It's 1985. You hmm. should, nobody's discoing anymore. <laughs> nope, I, I agree with you. And when we do get to the dance studio, she's doing it to a fifth of Beethoven, 
which is a 1976 disco song. So that is nine years old. And, and I did public do... domain, I think, probably. Because <laughs> it's Beethoven. <laughs> yeah. But here's the funny thing. I started looking up because I was like, who did that song anyway? Oh, that's right. Walter Murphy and the Big Apple Band. Heard about it a million times. Walter Murphy. Walter Murphy, Google, Google, the same Walter Murphy that does all the music for Seth MacFarlane, for Family oh. Guy, for American Dad. What? That oh, is the same God. Walter Murphy. Uh, again, <laughs> brain. How old is he? What? He was like under 30 when a fifth of Beethoven happened. So Which would make him in his 80s now, David. Shut oh, up. Stop Shut your whore that. mouth. Echo. How old is composer Walter Murphy? He's 68 years old. He's 68 he right now. Born on December 19th, 1952. Wait, he was born in 52. Like, so he was like 25 when he did Fifth okay. Beethoven well, and shit. Yeah, well, that's under 30, yes. Echo stop. Um, so yeah, same one. But yeah, Fifth of Beethoven. And it was just, ugh, it, was, it was such a weird, weird thing. But uh, we need to stop and pause already. We're not even into really the meat of the episode, but we've got to talk about Natalie in this episode. Natalie is in hyper comedic delivery mode. <laughs> it is very, very joke heavy on Natalie. Mindy Cohn is rising to the occasion. She is magic. But we've said before, as the Jewish cast member, she has a great affinity for Catskills, Borscht Belt level humor and delivery. I'm thinking this episode is like bumped up to 11. She's like Hanukkah Harry here, as far as I'm concerned. There were at least two like very Jackie Mason, rest in peace. Um, oh, he just died, wall. I have in particular this scene, maybe I'll, I'll leave it alone after this. We have three moments in this scene, okay? First of all, first line, hard day at work, hard day. You try to teach disco to housewives for eight hours. And then it's like, well, there's some mail there for you. All right, good. Oh, good, a paycheck is here. $89, are they kidding? These are, these are verbatim. And then, um, well, why don't you quit the dance studio? Well, they send me work and all that. And would you believe it? They have me doing the marketing. They got me handing out brochures. They think I'm with the Krishnas. All of this, I mean, master, expertly delivered in that vein. But there is a lot of it for her in this episode. We usually get a little bit of a sprinkling, a little salt and peppering of it. And we're getting a little bit more of a meal out of Natalie this week. Oh, and Chuck comes in later when Joe is introducing her boy partner from the dance class. She introduces everybody and just innocently skips over and forgets Natalie. What am I, an Ottoman? <laughs> it's like, okay. And one more at the end and then I'll drop this, okay? Mrs. Garrett talks about having to adjust the hem on Joe's dress. And she says, oh, I just hope it holds. And Natalie says, Mrs. Garrett, I trust my life to one of your hems. Who the damn should be so sturdy? Got a little bit of Barbara Streisand going on. What? Well, uh, well tomato, <laughs> tomato. <laughs> that's, <laughs> that's, I mean, she was doing Fanny Bryce, who was vaudeville yeah. and vaudeville that's informed. It was very Fanny. <laughs> yeah, it is. But the whole thing, but yeah, who the damn should be so sturdy? It's like, it's, I swear to God, it's Miracle Max. Are you a rotten liar? It's. She also yeah. says to Joe when she wants to do the ballroom, she says, 
could could you be cuter this one or whatever she says yeah it's another like really jewishy thing to say yeah very very my bobby keeps calling me cute yeah adorable yeah. this woman is that's what yeah. it is. adorable no it's right there yeah because they frequently when joe says she wants to take a, a ballroom dance class the common thing they keep is oh that's so cute oh that's cute they keep doing it. yeah so eh, it's it, it's just weird but anyway so putting natalie jackie mason aside so after natalie leaves after she kind of comes in like this this hurricane of borscht belt comedy uh the 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 brochures that she was handing out like the krishnas she leaves one on the couch and joe picks it up and looks at it and we zoom in on joe pensively examining the brochure for copeland's studio of dance and it says let copeland's put you in step Oh, I see what they did there. Yeah. And uh, here's the thing. Uh, Copeland's Studio of Dance has the apostrophe after the S. Copeland's apostrophe for the name of the studio. But in the little um, byline, it's let Copeland apostrophe S. Let Copeland's put you in step. So um, this is a props fail. This is a <laughs> grammar snob, grammar Nazi. Uh, nope unacceptable unacceptable and uh, and there's an actual phone number 4607240 did you call it i did not but wow. i did look up the area code for peak skill is 914 so i did google 914-460-7240 in case it was attached to a business or a dance studio it is not it's not a it doesn't it's oh, nothing what a missed opportunity i know too bad where was the area code um, the, well, the brochure didn't have an area code because we didn't have 10 digit dialing back in the 80s. Oh, that's right. So it I just said 46072. Yeah, because like you, like, like Kristen, you were just an infant mm -hmm. when this all was. Mm -hmm. <laughs> uh huh. So the next scene, we go to the dance studio, and this is where we get to see Natalie teaching her disco to these senior citizens. And, uh, Bless, just Kristen, bless. Kristen, was that like a real dance class for you at all? Good God, and I hope not. I mean, well, to be fair, like this looks like the type of dance class you probably see in like a retirement community, but not like a, I don't know, not a, a dance studio, I don't per yeah. se. Maybe because at the villages, maybe, but. Yeah. <laughs> Perhaps at the villages, yes. It did feel <laughs> a lot like a dance class that I would be in. Like, she's like, to the left, and I'm like, oh, wrong left. Like that is my level of dancing was these women. I'm just letting you saw it in the show we did. There's I, I choreographer. remember you being fantastic in that and being a great dancer. So I think you're selling yourself short. And you know what? As a dance teacher, our goal is to get everyone to dance. And I think that uh, if I gave you some lessons, I think we could probably make that happen. Well, why don't we take a moment and talk about the two women who speak of the two old ladies in this dance class? Just a minute. I'm not gonna talk about every single credit that they have. Okay, 20 minutes tops, no more than 20 minutes. Um, Ms. Uh, uh, fuck a duck, where is it? Okay, there's the character of Mrs. Solomon. She's the one who speaks the most to Natalie. She's got most of the dialogue and uh, her name is Jean Sincere, like literally S-I-N-C-E-R-E, -E, like, like the adjective, sincere. Um, she's gonna be back on the facts of life next season. 
she will be playing the caseworker, Dorothy Newell, who comes to check out the place to see if the environment is suitable for Cloris Leachman to adopt Andy, little Mackenzie Aston. So same actress, different role, gonna be back next season. That exciting? I'm forgetting a little day player a couple times on the show. That's nice. Yeah, that is totally nice. And Jean Sincere has, according to IMDb, 56 credits in a 63-year career. She worked until the last year before she died when she was 92 years old. She passed away at 93. And from 2010 to 2011, uh, at, she played on the show Glee, a character named Ancient Librarian. <gasps> Oh my gosh, that's so, that's so real. Your agent calls you and says, hey, I got a network TV show for you. They want you to come in and read. Okay, what's the role? Ancient librarian. <laughs> and then how dare you? And it's like, you're 91 years old. I'm, I'm not apologizing. Go there, I need the fucking commission. <laughs> and then the other lovely old lady in the class, Diane Racine. R-A-C-I-N-E, playing Mrs. Flynn. She's the one who complains that her legs are hot. And Natalie says, you're wearing leg warmers, Mrs. Flynn. Huh. I'm not sure what leg warmers are even for, but I don't understand when they're like, okay, stretch out before we dance. I'm like, no, I don't, okay. <laughs> <laughs> no, you don't get hurt. So you don't pull a muscle. Oh, oh, don't worry. There will be no muscles pulled while I'm dancing. I promise you. Ah. <laughs> uh, so then Joe comes into the studio and she says she's interested in taking a class and Natalie thinks that it's an exercise class and it's like, no, no, this one, ballroom dance. And Natalie's like, why? And she says, that's so cute. And the only explanation Joe gives for wanting to take a ballroom dance class, which I agree with everyone in this show, in this world, it does not make any fucking sense that Joe would have any affinity draw or lure to wanting to do ballroom dancing. But Joe says, I don't know. There's something very man, elegant and clean about it. Know what I'm talking about? Wow. It's, it's like she's here, isn't it? <laughs> but again, David, who were they gonna give it to? Just like when they wanted to make Joe a nun. It's that, it was that, what other character are we going to see like a fish out of water in a dress for Christ's yeah. sake? And because it wouldn't have meant as much if Blair had done it or if Tootie had done it. So of course it had to be Joe. It only would have been funnier if Mrs. Garrett had done it and worn her high school prom dress oh, for Christ's sake. <laughs> well, okay. I will give you that, that that is the most interesting of choices, but I don't know what the um, justification could be why couldn't it have been an elective class? Like there have been times in college at the beginning of a semester when I was like, okay, course, 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 fuck, I'm two credits short. Fuck, 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 what am I gonna do? I gotta take another, I gotta take another chorus. I gotta take a, a Spanish literature, you know, where you're just scrambling to make sure you have the correct course load to remain a full-time student. Uh, I would have been okay with that as a reason why but that would have discluded every other character in the show. Natalie, like, because now it has to do with Natalie as well. Because yeah. 
she's at the dance class and this week she's a dance te- I mean it was pretty genius for them to make her a college dropout so they could literally make her whatever we want her to be any week <laughs> yeah no true I I applaud that absolutely but anyway you're you're right I I'm not saying that my solution is that I'm just saying uh Joe saying that there is something mannered elegant and clean those are literally all the qualities that she would list about Blair that she would claim that she hates the most about her best friend slash lesbian girlfriend. Oh, we get a big diesel moment coming oh. up, David. You know what I'm talking about. So is this when we meet fucking Chuck? Uh, Chuck, we... Chuck, Bobuck, banana, banana, Hey, 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 hey. Um, so yes, the next scene, we are at the class, still at this dance studio. Uh, there are people coupled up. Joe is dressed in her lesbotanical sweats and high top sneakers. Uh, we do have Mr. Nathan, who's kind of the teacher of this class, apparently played by Nat Bernstein or Bernstein. I'm not sure how he pronounces his name, but he's also a writer and a producer. Here's a funny thing. After this show, he would go on to produce most of the episodes of Doogie Howser, occasionally writing on the show as well. What? Yeah, Doogie Howser, kind of his show. Isn't that crazy? Mm -hmm. As an actor, he was also on two episodes of Golden Girls and three episodes of Give Me a Break. Fantastic. You have to be careful when you say that. I wasn't sure if Matthew would... Because Matt, there's there's a history. Matthew and Nell Carter are. I, I ain't trying to make this any longer than it is, David. Yeah, yeah. Let me just but, say that it's bad. Nell Carter has not called him in over a decade, really. So, Mr. Nathan asks if God, if Mr. Nathan doesn't that sound like every stereotypical hairdresser in every 1960s uh, screwball romantic comedy? Yeah, really. Much. Mr. And it's Nathan. still not the gayest thing we're going to hear in this episode. No. <laughs> um, so uh, he says, does anyone have any experience? And there's this couple that's kind of like, well, maybe a little bit. And he proceeds to say, okay, do something. And so while they are showing off, um, we, uh, we get the moment where we can kind of go off to the side and partners can meet up. I don't know how quite they know that they're paired off, but Joe meets the boy with whom she was partnered, a cute blonde guy named Chuck, who is there because he normally plays football. And so Joe says, oh, so your football coach wants you to take dance to help you with like your footwork. And he's like, nope, my girlfriend, she's got a birthday coming up and I thought it'd be a nice present for her. So it's like, okay, he's got a girlfriend. Uh, the man who plays Chuck is Alan Campbell. The wonderful. You guys, the wonderful. Did you recognize him? He's a dear friend. He's the Tony nominee for the wonderful um, Broadway production of Sunset Boulevard with the wonderful uh-huh. Glenn Close, who hasn't spoken to me since. Um, I did tell her not to do that whole hillbilly elegy thing, and she did it anyway. And now she's the joke. But, um, but now Alan Campbell, he's wonderful, and he was on Three's a Crowd. Um, yeah, he was on Broadway. Went from this to Broadway. Look at him, little Alan Campbell. Uh, Matthew, you also neglected to put that he was on five seasons of Jake and the Fat Man. Another, uh, that was like a, you know, buddy cop comedy thing. 
uh, Dana Gould, stand-up comic, has oftentimes said, you're William Conrad, and your agent calls you up and says, they want you to read for a series called Jake and the Fat Man. Hopefully, he didn't say, which role do they want me to read for? Oh, no. (laughs) 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 Well, you ain't reading for Jake. (laughs) That was five seasons, and that was after this, obviously. Um, Alan Campbell is just so sweet and charming and cute, but not so handsome that it's off-putting. Like, he is just, the, God, I just love Chuck so much in this episode. Well, he's up against George Clooney, for Christ's sake. I mean. Yeah, they didn't try to compete with that. Really. No. Um, though, I mean, <laughs> I think he could probably sing a little better. Mm. And, uh, but he is sweet and charming. And then we get the <laughs> wacky uh, physicality of let's start dancing. Okay, we're stepping on each other's feet. Whoa, we bumped heads with each other. Whoa. Uh, okay, thank you. Has that uh, ever been your experience, Kristen, in a dance class? Have you seen people be that bad at dancing where you're like, okay. This is luckily no, but so this is social dancing. Social dancing is very different than taking ballet and jazz and tap as you grow up and going to school for it. Social dancing, you're gonna get all kinds, you're gonna get all types and all ages. So it is somewhat possible. The ridiculous amount of hijinks and like exactly like the the of it all. Um, I would hope not. That would be possible. But that is just 80s sitcom gold. That is like what we resort to back in that decade so very much. So as I was watching it, I'm like, this would never pass nowadays. But here we are. And somehow we're still enjoying this. So Yeah. Oh, you are so cute. Oh, my God. (laughs) Saying hijinks. I live. I know. But also, like, it's hard. You don't want to put down anybody who wants to go out to dance because I, I encourage everyone to go try it because I love it and I want to share that with other people. But yeah, this was this was horseshit. <laughs> 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 oh, I killed Matt. I'm sorry, bye. Oh, God. Oh, God. <laughs> so then we move on to the house. We're in the living room. Where George answers the phone, David. Uh, no, wait, no. No, a boy shouldn't answer the phone. Wait, what did you put? What? I put, meanwhile, George Clooney is arm wrestling and everything is okay again. (laughs) Yeah. So that's how the scene actually opens. And uh, nobody was upset by it, I don't think, out of the three. No. And honestly, Clooney, this is something I wasn't really remembering, but now that we're going back through the series, uh, the fact that the chemistry between Clooney and Aston is just amazing they are so good when they're together for a a 24 year old george clooney and a 12 year old mackenzie aston they are always just magnificent whenever they are on screen together do you agree matthew oh yeah yeah but i think mackenzie aston's the best actor on the show so (laughs) (laughs) i think he and 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 uh, nancy mckeon yeah okay wow (laughs) I mean, sure. Yep. Okay. <clears throat> but yes, the uh, George and Andy are arm wrestling. George got his hair cut a little bit, a little less mullety. Notice that. Yeah, it was longer last uh, weeks, a few last few weeks. I didn't, I didn't, I wasn't mad at the mullet because I mean, it's a Clooney mullet, man. 
I still want to run barefoot through it. Mm -hmm. So uh, anyway, ring, ring, uh, telephone rings. And what happens, Matthew? George answers the phone, David. What? Yes. What the fuck? Every, everybody except Joe is in the room, right? No, no, Natalie. Natalie's not there. It's Blair, Tootie, Mrs. Garrett, Andy, and George. Yeah. Even Tootie acts like, Tootie, we go into prude Tootie with like, should a man be answering our phone? And Blair's like, oh, it's great advertising or something. It's. Yeah. We have a man living here, bitches. Yeah. Like, what? <laughs> So, but on the phone, it's Chuck. And we get that TV trope of people leaving messages. I mean, people did leave messages for other people. That did happen. I do remember, I think, in my childhood. It was so long ago. But the fact that in TV shows, it's like, oh, it's Chuck. It's this guy, Chuck. He left a message for Joe. He'll pick her up before dance class tonight, and he can't wait to show her a new step he learned. But Joe had earlier said, don't tell the other girls. Natalie, I don't want anyone to know this is my business. I'm Joe. I'm private. And Natalie's like, of course, of course. So then the whole, whole charade is broken. It's like, okay. So anyway, now the girls know. Natalie comes in and they grill Natalie about what is going on here. And Natalie's like, I'm not saying anything. And Tootie looks at her and is like, Joe's taking a dance class. And, 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 and Natalie's like, what? what? Who, how do you do that? Only my mother can do that. Again, the Miracle Max stuff. Um, so then Chuck, sh so then Joe shows up and the girls starting with the cute stuff again. And then Chuck shows up and they all demand that the two of them show them some of their dance steps. Clooney moves the dining room table. They get the couch out of the way. And they dance badly. Whoa, wacky comedy, bad dancing. Almost knocking things over, almost hitting people. Exhausting. And with that, the last line is, it's okay, you'll improve before the recital. And Joe's like, recital? What? Fade to commercial. Wow. So she didn't know there was a recital. They forgot to tell her that. I mean, granted, if you were talking to Chuck and the instructor was talking, I'd be like, yeah, I don't give whatever the fuck he's saying. So Chuck, uh, tell me about this bitch girlfriend of yours again. Tell me about this, this whore bag. Okay. Anyway. Um, but Blair so says maybe she's taking a dance class. That explains the Ben Gay. Uh. <laughs> It's the first time the word has been uttered on the show. And it's yes. in reference to Joe. What? Yeah. And it's by Blair. Hmm. Okay. Mm. Yeah. It. Yeah. There is a running gag about the aroma of Ben Gay being in the air because ballroom dancing is an old people thing. Whoa. So, yeah. On that note, we go to commercial. And Kristen, commercial time is the time we like to pause and get to know our guest a little bit. Oh, okay. So if I may interview you and ask you just quickly about, a, uh, just give us a tour of your life and uh, how you got to be a magnificently successful performer, instructor, dancer here in Central Florida. Where were you born? 
I was born in New Jersey, so I had the very fortunate uh, childhood of living not far from New York City. So I got to go see shows in New York and ballets and was very exposed to the arts at a very young age. So that was uh, a blessing for me. I fell in love with it very quick. And what was at, the first show? What bitcha? What, what were you supposed little Kristen watching for right. the audience? And she said, this is what I want to do. <laughs> so ready for this. So I wanted to be a ballerina from the time I set foot in ballet class when I was five. That was what I wanted to be. So I ended up going to a dance studio that was um, primarily a ballet school. They had extracurricular dance as well. But if you were at that school, you were there to take ballet and to become a ballerina. And so I so badly wanted to be that. And our um, dance, the head of the studio, like the ballet mistress, if you will, I don't remember what her official title was, but she was so mean and so awful and inspiring. And I, one summer, somehow found myself in a jazz class and I was like, there's other forms of dance. What is this? This seems like fun. And then um, my parents went to go see Chicago on Broadway right after it opened with the original cast, not all the Real Housewives bullshit we got now. Oh. And um, they came home <laughs> and my mom said, you would love this. They danced the whole show, you would love it. And I was really little, so you know, shouldn't be exposed to Chicago yet. And then the Tony Awards came on and she said, this is it, this is what I was telling you about. And I sat glued six inches from the TV screen, just watching it. I was like, I have to do this. This is what I want to do. And my mom's like, oh, this backfired immensely. I don't know why I told her about this. And then I just became completely enamored with musical theater. I had never really seen a musical up until that point. I'd always been taken to the ballet because that's all I wanted to see. And that's what I wanted to do. And so, um, you know, I was like 12 and I was like, I want to dance around the stage in fishnets and lingerie. This looks great. And my parents are like, how about you become a teacher instead? This would be so much better of a career. And I was just dead set and wanted to learn and study everything Bob Fosse. And I just taught myself so much and then started taking jazz classes and then switch studios so I could continue getting the proper education for that. And then I went to college for it. And the rest is history The Chicago, the musical with BB North and Anne Ranking, bless you, um, mm. were my goddesses. I wanted to be like them so bad. And um, just everything became about becoming a Broadway dancer. And then I realized really quick, you got to know how to sing. So I listened to cast albums and taught myself and and you are an amazing singer as well, which it's just everything. I hate everything about you, Kristen. <laughs> yes, it's true. It is so true. You're just so fucking talented. And aside from uh, a singular uh, special event that you and I got to do at Disney, you and I just got to finally work together on a Valentine's Cabaret that we did, a virtual streaming Valentine's Cabaret. Yeah. And that was lovely. We had a little tiny piece of a duet that we did. And it was just like, oh, oh, for these for these five seconds, I get to look into your eyes and be in love with Kristen. And it's so nice. (laughs) I want to do this for so long. Oh, and you gave me some great comedic moments for one of my um, solos, too. So, yeah, we got got to do a a lot of good a lot of good stuff but yeah it's just a matter of rewrite what this looks like until it comes back to us the way we know it and mm-hmm. we got to do that together and anybody who has worked with you or knows you Kristen Sciola knows that you are also an extraordinary baker like amazing baked goods not just like cookies and brownies we're talking 
cakes, structured cakes, wedding cakes, towers. We're talking fondant. It it boggles my mind, the glory and the beauty of some of the stuff that you have baked. I stopped bringing stuff in because of you, Kristen. <laughs> so that show we did. Like, I was like, I'm going to make my pumpkin cake and these people, because I love to bake and I love to feed people and everything. And on the same day I brought it in, bitch opens up the back of her Jeep and pulls out these boxes at like a fucking catering company. And she opens them up and she's like, okay, these are gluten free. These are, and they look like they just stepped out of a goddamn bakery in New York City and like a patisserie for Christ's sake like the bitch just got done with the Great British Bake Off and I'm like oh here's some brownies everybody (laughs) I hope that I my goal is always to encourage people to do to do the same if it's something they love but my grandmother was a baker she was a housewife and um she was a baker by by fun like that's what she did for fun and she really showed her love in baking and Christmas time was her favorite she would everyone would get a cookie tin with your favorite cookies in it and I'm not talking one talking like 12 different flavors of things and she would bake from Thanksgiving Eve until uh December 24th and just pile everything into containers and so um and you know I love I love food and rehearsals because everyone gathers where the food is so I feel like I've gotten to know people faster from being like hey like there's food on the table and then everyone gathers around and you get to like know everybody's stories and like where they were working and what brought them here and I just always thought that that was such a a nice way to kick off the beginning of something is getting to know people for more than their resume getting to know them for them and Mm -hmm. I feel like that happens around food so that's true Yeah. Uh, Well, this has been great. I'm so glad we finally got you on the show and we've had a chance to talk and get to know you. But Kristen Sciola, enough about you. Okay. (laughs) That was a long segment. You can edit that shorter. (laughs) No. We have to get back to this crisis situate what what is the, okay i guess the crisis in the facts of life is joe is taking a dance class and she has to do it in front of people oh okay i, I so. mean that's that's the drama this week eh, all right anyway uh so yeah we come back from commercial and we are in the store we're in over our heads uh mrs garrett comes in with a fucking babushka on covered in dirt and looking like Cinderella just came in from the hearth. And it's like, oh, gee, Mrs. Garrett, you know, been cleaning. And Mrs. Garrett says, the attic is a mess. Is it? Um, Matthew, we, we have a problem here. Don't you agree? Why? Because they've only been in there for uh, two years. Uh, well, 10 weeks since the place burned the fuck up. So the assumption oh, right. is that in the renovations, that in addition to the store and the house, at the very least, you had to sweep out all of the ash and the dirt. And st- it's like, did they just not touch the attic? Is it still embers and cinder up there? Must be. Must but be. Anyway, Mrs. Garrett is feverishly trying to find her high school prom dress because she thought that Joe might want to wear it at the recital. And Joe was like, oh, that's very sweet. And Mrs. Garrett does say, I was about your size in high school. Oh, yes. Which gets a little bit of a laugh. And I'm kind of like, 
were you? <laughs> In that, Mrs. Garrett is tiny. She is five foot tall without the hair. And she's not very, she's not a very buxom woman. She's more of like just a pear shape. I think she carries most of her weight in, you know, in her hips, in, in the lower half of her body. But I mean, I think a Nancy McKeon, Nancy McKeon is built like a football player. <laughs> and it's like, okay, let's, we'll just, we'll just take you at your word, Mrs. Garrett, that you were built like Joe when you were in high school. So there is a reveal of the dress a little bit later. And here's the deal. I don't even hate the dress. The only thing about it I would say is if it's supposed to be late 40s or even early 50s, they couldn't have done a three-quarter sleeve. That three-quarter sleeve would have gone a long way to making it look more period. Oh, my um, gosh. Who was the costume designer for the show? Did you look that up? Oh, Kristen. We didn't just look it up. We are friends with the costume designer for the show. Of course you are. <laughs> the wonderful Diana Eden. Uh, so I'm not faulting her because we love everything that she does. She is an amazing, awesome, talented woman. But honestly and truly, for me being this nitpicky and shitty about the, the time frame and all that, the good thing is I didn't look at this dress and go, oh, come on. It was fine. At worst, it was generic that it's like, well, I guess it could have been any different time period. And we did have to make it flattering for Nancy McKeon, who was in a very tomboy phase. <laughs> so getting her into a dress was probably a struggle in and of itself. So, and, and I think she does look pretty in it. It's lovely, it's a good color. So we're, we, we need to stop obsessing about it. Could we please guys, can we get back to the show and stop talking about Honestly. this dress? Mm. Can we, Kristen, could, could we please? Get, get yeah, back any, yeah. any time now, actually. <laughs> <sighs> oh, my goodness. <clears throat> so then Blair comes into the shop and chides Joe about this whole thing. And Joe has an interesting speech where the whole, like, why, why is this such a problem for you? And Blair's like, because I can't understand why you're doing this class. It's just not you. And Joe comes back with, just because I don't have season tickets to the Joffrey doesn't mean I can't appreciate grace and style. He likes hockey, so he can't like opera. Does everybody have to fit into a slot? Can't we give each other some room? That's fantastic. <laughs> yeah, shut that bitch down. <laughs> I'm giving her the slow clap for that. And the fact that she put hockey and opera into the same sentence uh, I believe somehow, somewhere, a young, impressionable Eric Pinder was watching this episode because our friend Eric Pinder is literally, his Instagram handle is opera hockey guy. Like he is obsessed with hockey and he's obsessed with opera. I so I, I sent this clip to him and I was like, um, they're talking about you. <laughs> yep, true. Um, so then. The next scene, we go into the house. We're back in the living room. Joe is dancing and awkwardly practicing around the room. Thank God the phone rings and puts in stop to that soon enough. Uh, this is Chuck calling now. Turns out his bitch girlfriend, Sheila, found out about him going to the class and she wasn't all yay and happy about it. What a sweet thing this, that he's doing for her. She was jealous that he was dancing with another girl. 
And Joe does say in an interesting moment of, uh, of self-awareness, Joe does say, well, did you tell her about me? I'm not exactly the kind of girl that makes guys' girlfriends jealous. And he says, yeah, I told her that. And Joe's like, oh, well, thanks. So that's a little bit weird and interesting, you know, in terms of that. But uh, new thing that I don't know, have we ever, Matthew, had a split screen phone call on the facts of life in six and a half seasons? Have we, we've cut between, we cut back and forth, but have we ever done a split screen? I don't know. I don't know either. Let's turn it over to the listeners. If I'm wrong, I think this is yet another revolutionary sweeping change that we're seeing in the aesthetical differences between season seven and everything that came before it. Uh, so then on the phone, we have this sort of sad goodbye between Chuck and Joe. And then Mrs. Garrett comes in and says, my cousin found my dress. And I forget, is that how the scene ends? Is it Joe you says? hope. <laughs> yeah. And yeah. yeah, that's pretty much how it ends. So then we go back and we're in the store and we have the weirdest scene where Blair is dancing around Clooney, around George. George is being magnificently, hysterically detached. Standing there, vacant, dead eyes, holding up his hand, holding up the pointed finger, swaying it like a 1940s thing. Like that is all the effort he's putting into this. And Blair is basically jitterbugging all around him. Is that, is that, let's turn it over to the expert. Is that type of dancing called jitterbugging, Kristen? Chiola? You know, I have to go back and watch the videotape one more time, but mm -hmm. uh, I feel like, yeah, something similar to that. Yeah. So, um, but yeah, but George is just so funny for how he, we've said this before, he knows where he is. He knows what this show is and he understands his role in it. And there is a sense of him like, I, I get it. I get this, that this is not Shakespeare. And uh, I fucking love Clooney so much, so much. Seriously. So then after the dance is over, uh, Blair says, I'm surprised I remember those steps. It was my routine at my coming out party. There we go. Oh, Blair, really? Did you have a coming out party? Did, uh, was, there, was there the aroma of Ben Gay in the air by any chance? Mm -hmm. But she says it was a magical night, a 41-piece orchestra and all eyes on me as I danced my way into everybody's heart. Uh, huh? Do, do, do teenagers traditionally dance a solo to a full orchestra at a coming out party, particularly in the early 80s? Was that even still a thing? I thought they danced with their brother or something. Yeah. Don't they? Because isn't that one of those weird things where it's like, or that's a debutante ball in that where they, yeah, like a cotillion where their brother brings them down and they're dressed like a bride and it's like, Fortune Feimster talks about it in her, in her special. Yes, yeah. But it's yeah, it's the idea of uh, coming out, meaning coming out of childhood and now becoming a young lady in society type. Like, you know, Edie Bouvier Beale 
had a coming out party in the Hamptons. You fucking know that shit happened. But um, yeah, but this whole story of there being an orchestra and all this. And then she says, we had sponge cake. You should have been there. And Joe says, you didn't invite me, remember? And Blair says, an oversight, I'm sure. So it's like, whoa, 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 whoa. So this coming out party happened in the timeline post Joe Palnacek. Oh, God. Banging that show Bible, David. <laughs> Banging the show Bible. Well, yeah. here's the thing, though, Matthew. A typical coming out party would be between ages of 16 and 18. So Blair Warner was 16, 17, and 18 during seasons two, three, and four. Joe joined the show in season two. Oh my God. This tracks. Kristen, did you have any idea what you were getting into when you? This actually tracks, particularly if Blair did it when she was 16. In season two, like they were new friends. Yeah, she wouldn't have invited Joe. Totally wouldn't have. So I'm honestly like, I, I could buy this. This doesn't contradict anything. I'd buy that for a dollar. Mm-hmm. <laughs> are we at the scene where they fucking dance yet no no not yet and oh and God. i do but but i do need to add that hmm she didn't invite her new friend joe the tomboy to her coming out party little on the nose just saying little on the nose so knowing that she no longer has a dance partner andy offers himself as joe's dance partner our horny little child andy If you knew, Kristen, how often Andy is saying horny adult things. Oh, no. Yeah. And the whole big thing is uh, the comedy of it is, you know, I can dance with you. I can do it. And it's like, you need to be able to lift me. So he wraps his arms around her and tries to lift her up. And of course, he can't do it. So he's gone. Joke is over. Um. So then Chuck comes in the store and it's like, wow, didn't expect to see you here. And so he's like, yeah, Joe, can I talk to you? Sure. And they go stand towards the back wall and the frame is so perfectly set. I, I lost my mind from happiness because they are standing perfectly symmetrically on either side of that column along the back wall that has all the funky 80s clocks on it happy at the core of my soul. God, it was beautiful. Had to watch it twice because I'd stopped listening to what they were saying. But another moment where he says, you know what, Joe? I started thinking about my girlfriend, Sheila, after she said she didn't want me to do the dance class. And you know what? Sheila's not nice. And so he says, Sheila's not nice. So I broke it off. And then Joe says, whoa. Uh, not over me, I hope. And he says, of course not. And Joe says, yeah, of course not. And I'm like, once again, it's like, time out here. This whole thing of, you know, I'm not the kind of girl that guys have problems with. I'm, I'm not pretty. I'm not attractive. I'm not someone who has ever caught the interest of a man. Uh, I mean, you know, lesbianic overtones to the side here. This is so weird because typically Joe has always been somewhat on the same footing as all the others from a desirability standpoint, from a, oh, she's got a new boyfriend 
standpoint. What a weird thing that they deliberately make this non-romantic, which then leads me to the next question. Why wasn't it romantic? What do you guys think? (laughs) Poor Kristen. I was watching this and I was like, where is this going? And I was like, oh, then there, he's going to ask her out. And like, that's, that's what happens in all 80 sitcoms. And I was like, what a letdown. (laughs) But also, because I'm like, this isn't on brand for her. So like, I don't get where, yeah, I was, I sat confused watching this. I'm like, maybe I missed something. And then I watched it a second time. I was like, no, I did not. (laughs) Exactly. It's like, I don't know how it would have been more perfectly set up that he was interested in Joe, that, you know, I really do like dancing with you, Joe. And it could even be that, you know, well, Sheila got wind of it and, you know, she she thinks I'm having too much fun at the classes kind of a thing. That could have been brought about, but then, I mean, why not? Why why couldn't this have been a thing where, you know, Joe, what, what a great thing of Joe steps outside her comfort zone. Joe decides to go to a bond and she gets a super duper cute boyfriend out of it. Yeah. I would have loved that. And like every other episode where they have a boyfriend, he would be gone and forgotten for the entire rest of the series. Totally par for the course. That wouldn't have bothered me. Mm-hmm. Matthew, you're being quiet and yet looking at me very judgmentally. Not at all. Not at all. No judgment here. Okay. Well, <laughs> um, uh, yeah. So... So the good news is he's back and back in the recital and they can dance together again. But we still need to work on that lift at the end of the routine. Ooh, that's now, ooh, that's the big question mark. That's the dramatic uh, suspense that's hanging in the air is suddenly there's this thing about this lift that we need to do at the end of our routine. And they have set it up like it's the goddamn dirty dancing lift, for Christ's sake. You just took the words out of my brain. She goes, I'm here. You're, you're not five feet in the air. So actually, I'm excited to see this last scene now. Oh, oh. Because I want to see this lift, Nancy. Uh, I'm in. I am so in. Maybe his lifting you, his holding you in his arms, this will be the moment when he puts you down and then goes in for a kiss that surprises both of you. And suddenly this is the romantical episode that I wish it were. Right. Oh, no, 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 no. <laughs> Next scene. We're at the school. We're at the recital. Uh, Kristen Shiola, professional yeah. dancer, dance class attender, and uh, teacher, facilitator. Uh, when there is a recital for a dance, a ballroom dance class for adults, uh, do people traditionally show up to a recital only intending to dance for themselves, dressed in tuxedos and ball gowns? Actually, yes. Um, at Arthur Murray, I believe, if this is still the case, you it's not so much of a recital. It's like, a, I don't remember what they call it. It's like a social night. And they encourage you to dress up. And it just varies, honestly. I mean, if you were going to a ballroom show, obviously, or a ballroom competition, people would be dressed. But yeah, like it's like a, it's supposed to be a social night, but usually the only people that come to these are the people from the class. You're not inviting your loved ones to come watch you. It's yeah. the people you've been in class with that surround you and 
and you know like everyone's dancing at the same time and maybe there's people that have featured step out moments but everything about this episode as a dancer made me cringe (laughs) 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 I understand your question but this isn't the totally this is the cringiest part the dance was the actual dance itself is yeah we're leading up to yeah cringy city ladies and gentlemen i just didn't i just couldn't figure out why they would have this recital that everybody supposedly comes to that everybody has to stand around in this room and it's like oh find a spot in the corner like okay we're there's no dedicated yeah, so we've combined two worlds that are both dance but wrong. Dance recitals are for any dance studio to um, showcase what they've learned throughout the year. And then, yeah. you know, like the ballroom classes that you would take for social fun, just everybody dancing together. No one's coming in and sitting down with a ticket to watch you foxtrot and standing in a corner. But yeah, like none of that is accurate. No, I didn't think so. This is not like a belly dance recital. That's <laughs> that's a thing where you go to classes and then there is a big recital and the school makes a lot of its money from the ticket sales of the friends and family who yeah. attend the belly dance recital. But yeah, this this ain't that. So I didn't think so, but okay, I didn't even know that there would be the social, the dress-up social night. That's actually nice. Yeah. But uh, rented tuxedos, identical rented tuxedos? That's a little much. That's a little much. Yeah, a little bit, a little bit. So then Joe and Chuck materialize. Joe is wearing Mrs. Garrett's uh, dress. It's lovely. It's a lovely red sequined. You know, it's got kind of a high collar. It's got low, long sleeves. Uh, but it's fitted through the bodice and along the top of the hip and then flares out. It's it's uh, sparkly. It's red. It looks great with her hair. Joe's got her hair up. And um, of course, he is wearing, uh, Chuck is wearing his tuxedo and they, they're quite a comely couple, I will say. And then uh, out of the blue, they wax the floors. The floors are waxed. They didn't tell us about this. We haven't done our dance on these floors Oh my God, this, this last minute drama, whatever are we going to do? What would have been more appropriate drama? I mean, is that something that has ever happened to you as a dancer? You walked in, he was like, it's time to perform. Oh my God, they waxed the floors. Actually, sadly, yes. Okay. That's okay. Why stage one time and we all went down there and it was the opposite problem. We couldn't move because we were stuck to the floor and we're like, oh, what happened overnight? And they're like, oh, they cleaned the stage. It looks beautiful. And we're like, yes, but now it is like fly paper and nobody can do anything on it. So I hate to say that this is not, again, one of those things that I'm like, all right, this is ridiculous. We know the show is ridiculous, but also, unfortunately, I have experienced this before. So. That is why I want. That is why I wanted you here because mm-hmm. I wanted to know these answers to these these riveting questions that I had about waxed floors being a surprise. <laughs> I feel like you know when when there's something being presented or whatever, you're like, oh, we gotta make the place look nice. So yeah, if it, I mean, hopefully a dance studio owner is smart enough to know that's not a good idea. But again, 80s hijinks, woo! Yeah, but that's just adding that at the end. And then uh, when they do start their dance, which is a waltz, and by the way, the only friends and family attending this, other than the people in the class are Mrs. Garrett, Blair, Tootie, Natalie, Andy, 
is George there? Oh, yeah. yeah. George is there too. Yeah. They're all there. It's like, okay, why? But then they're narrating. They're like, okay, oh, here comes the dip. I know Joe was worried about the dip. Here comes the dip. And they do the dip and it's fine. And then we get to the lift, the lift, the, oh my God. Oh my God. Here comes the lift. They were ah! five feet in the air. Five, he said five feet in the air. That was promised to us and it was not delivered. Joe runs up to him. She hops and basically sits on his hip for a second and a half with his arm around her waist and her, you know, and, and pulling up her feet. So she's off the floor. She's on his body and then gets back down. And everyone's like, oh, my God. Oh, they did it. Oh, holy shit. Oh, fuck. I thought they were going to die. Oh, my God. They did the lift. Kristen, what was that for you as the dancer? (laughs) I mean, we haven't given me high hopes leading up to this moment. So I think I I could have said, all right, this is something I could do to a stranger on the street. Yeah. Intoxicated even. And I feel like I would still survive it. So, um... Yeah, I was a little let down. I was like, dirty dancing lift. It's happening. It's the 80s. We got to. I mean, like, this is iconic. Here we go. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, I was a little, I was a little upset by that. And, uh, and also the camera shot was so tight that you didn't really even see what was going on. So you're like, there, somebody could be holding them up into this position right now. And that's more likely what actually happened. <laughs> yeah. And, and speaking of the camera work, uh, they they try to do dissolves and stuff to make it a little more fluid. There weren't cuts. It was dissolves and stuff. But there was a point in the dance where there was like a break, a lull in the music. And they stopped. And there was just this moment where they stop. And they're looking out to, I think, the center camera. They're like looking directly at the audience. And when they get to that point in the dance where they stop, it dissolves to a different shot where it's them just looking vacantly off into a place while they're standing there posed and not dancing. And it was, it was just very strange. I'm like, I feel like they, that, that cut or that dissolve happened a little sooner than they meant for it to. But, um, and the only thing about the lift I will say in their defense is that dirty dancing is two years away. Dirty dancing's 87. So the expectations that we bring to it as modern people, appreciators of dance, um, in 1985, maybe the at-home viewing sitcom network audiences were like, holy fucking shit, they did it. Oh, God damn. I nearly wet them. Man, I, I was so worried about it. And then after they do this whole thing, they continue dancing and there's like a, ah, okay, they did it. Roll credits, fade to black. End of episode. The lift was the climax, the crux, and that's it. We're done. And you're like, wait, so what? what? Uh, yeah. Disappointing, let down, just, just letting the air out, just. What, what do you, what do you have to say, Christian, about the episode overall in this ending? So, well, usually when they put like special skill sets like dancing and singing on a show, it's because the person that is on the show has this as a legitimate skill set. Like if you're going to guest star Sutton Foster on something, 
uh, she's gonna sing and dance because that's what she does. Even on her own show on Younger, they're just like, they would find any reason in the world to have her tap or to have her sing or to do it. And us as audience members are like, we know what this bait is that you have <laughs> cast into the water. And yet we are so happy you did this because thank you. We know she's gonna deliver. So I went in and I'm like, maybe secretly she's like a ballerina or something and like is super trained. And this is gonna be some amazing moment for them to showcase how great of a dancer she is. And the down was so real <laughs> and yeah. again I never want to criticize anyone because good for you dance is so hard and partnering is so hard so good for you for getting the script and not lighting it on fire and being like no I'm not doing this <laughs> but also I was like it's a little cringy <laughs> yeah. yeah now Nancy McKeon was on Dancing with the Stars in 2018 what yeah Right when I was starting the podcast, I started this uh, in the fall of 2018, and it happened to coincide with when Nancy McKeon uh, was uh, getting back to the, the public spotlight uh, after taking time away to raise her family and all that. So yeah, she did do Dancing with the Stars, and I want to say she was eliminated like week three. Oh. It was, it was kind of early, um, but hey, whatever. You know, she did the check clear, then we're good. We're good. Uh, yeah. So um, we are at the end of this. And just overall, I guess my biggest thing is you couldn't at least have let Joe get the guy. There was nothing. There was no reason why, even if they wrote not a single different word of dialogue, they could have ended the dance and as people are applauding the amazing achievement, have them look at each other congratulatorily, if that's a word, and go in for a kiss. Be like, wow, this, this, we're getting caught up in this moment. And Joe could register her surprise and be like, well, okay then. Fuck yeah, I'm in. Yeah. It could have all been done non-verbally. And I, I don't understand. There is nothing I can think of why they they went directly for the Joe is not the attractive one. Joe is not the Jezebel. Joe is not the, uh, it's like, wow, they've actually never really done that before. It was surprising. Yeah. I think it, I'm going to just sit on my women's lib thing here for a second, David, and say that Joe went into it for personal reasons, not looking for that. And that's not what this was about for Joe's character. Joe was not there for romance. Joe was there because she wanted to do something for Joe. So get off the fucking old people carriage of making them have to have a romance that Joe can't just do something because Joe wants to do something. Mm -hmm. I, I don't disagree with you at all. But I the writing, love, I just love to throw throw flies into your metamucil, David. It makes me happy. <laughs> but no, I, I really can't disagree with you there, other than okay, the writing at the beginning, at no point ever, not even Natalie. Natalie's the horny girl in the show. Not even did Natalie say, Oh, you get to hold men, you get to have cute guys putting their hands on you. Who knows? You might meet someone. I'm Yenta. I've got a great match for you, matchmaker. Uh, that wasn't there. There was no hint of that being Joe's goal. Brava. She did not go into this looking for that. 
if she got that, it would have been a nice icing on the cake. But then what did Joe go into this looking for, Matthew? And did she get it? I think that is something that they abandoned and left into the ether. I don't know. I think she got to she got to learn to dance and she got to dance in front of people. And that's what she wanted to do. Feel elegant, feel classy. She mm-hmm. wanted to look, she wanted to feel clean and elegant. Okay. I guess. Uh, but it. <laughs> I just wish that they would have done like what the Golden Girls did two years later with the dance marathon, where they would have like used a body double and actually done like some amazing like flips and shit like that. Yes. <laughs> Even if, around the world. <laughs> yeah. The one where Betty, Betty White's doing cartwheels yeah. and stuff. Yeah. And so. oh my God. It is <laughs> Even so... if all they did was stone the rest of the cast reacting like they did for B. Arthur and, B- and Rue McClanahan. Just film them going, oh my God. That would have been yeah. comedy gold for me. But, you know, it was more important to get her ass two inches off the ground and pretend like she had just <laughs> <laughs> fucking climbed Mount Everest. Oh my God. Oh, Kristen. Kristen, we are so happy that we were able to do this with you. Any any last thoughts as a dancer? Any more dancer observations before we send you on your way? Oh, you're going to hate me for this, but I'm just going to say because she gave it a try, I'm just proud because as a teacher, the ones that just sit there and don't want to do it are really hard to teach. So thanks for wanting to. Like, honestly, thanks for going in there and being like, yeah, I'm going to give this a try and actually trying. Good for you, girl. I got I got you all the way. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Oh, Kristen, you don't know what it means to be on a bitchy queen podcast, <laughs> obviously. <laughs> Uh, we will we will tear apart the goddamn Mona Lisa for Christ's sake. Mm-hmm. <laughs> We're not here to talk about the Mona Lisa. We're here to talk about the facts of life and how happy we are that we got the amazingly talented Kristen Sciola to share this episode with us. Thank you, darling. Thank you for having me. This was so much fun. <laughs> yes, it was. We hope we're able to do it again really soon. And until then, smooches and goodbye. Mwah. Mwah. Bye, boys. And there you have it. That was Kristen Sciola. Ugh, so nice to actually spend social time with her and not just passing by each other backstage. Hi, hi, hey, how are you? Good, great to see you. Okay, bye, gotta go off and do my thing now. Yeah, really nice. Next week, Matthew and I are going to be watching Season 7, Episode 13, called Christmas Baby. And our returning guest is going to be Paul Padilla. He hasn't been on the show in a while, and uh, I think it's going to be a great time. We haven't recorded it yet, but I cannot wait. You can watch the episode ahead of time for free at dailymotion.com or on the Roku channel. I will post the links in the show notes and on this episode's webpage. That is all for now. Thank you so much for listening. And remember... The facts of life are all about you. Let's Face the Facts was created, produced, written, hosted, and edited by the wonderful David Almeida. Our theme song was beautifully arranged and recorded by Ned Wilkinson. Please visit facethefactspod.com for supplemental photos and videos. 
links to social media and ways that you can support the show. And don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review. This is Matthew Arder saying tune in again next week for another thrilling episode of Let's Face the Facts. <laughs> <laughs>